0: Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world.
1: Plus, we'll answer our listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to
0: send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. Okay, so our guests today are husband and wife duo, Janine Hayes and Brian Mason. In 2007, they started a blog called Afrochic which quickly grew into a multimedia brand with design services, a magazine, a podcast, product lines, plus two books. And today we're going to be talking about their their title released in November, Afro Chic, Celebrating the Legacy of the Black Family Home. Janine and Brian, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you.
2: Thank Thank you. you. We're really happy to be here.
0: I was just fully unprepared for this book and it was so emotional it's just one that's gonna live with me for a long time. And
1: Liz, Taryn, I don't know how y'all oh, feel about yeah. it, but
0: I was a lot to talk
1: about. <laughs> yeah, we've done we've done seen so many beautiful books, you know, talking to designers on this podcast. And I will say I went into it kind of in the same way I usually do, studying up on you guys and then kind of reading your website. And then I jumped into your book and I just, I wasn't prepared. I expected 16 beautiful homes that I was going to kind of look, you know, really study make, you know, and I, I dove right in this first page and I was like, I wasn't ready for this beautiful journey you take us on. So um, yeah, I loved it. I am so excited um, for others to read it. So that was my first. take. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's,
3: that's, I mean, that's that's great. That's high praise. And we we definitely appreciate. I mean, I think the thing that we've loved the most hearing from people is that this is a design book that they've actually read. And um, mm-hmm. hard as it is now to get anyone to just kind of like pick up a book and, and read it through. Uh, design books, you know, by intention, by design are, you know, pretty image heavy, pretty image focused. So to do one that has this much writing in it, this much to say, because we felt like there was a story that needed to be told. And this mm-hmm. was the opportunity to do it. Uh, we just love that people are saying, we picked it up, we read it cover to cover and you know, really, really love the experience.
2: Yeah. So I just want to say for, for our listeners here, to the, this book is so much more than an interior design book. It really takes a look at the lives and histories of each family that you Mm -hmm. interview and that you write about and go through their house and their history of their, their homes and their relationship with home. Yeah. What was it like to talk to these families and, and, select the the folks that you represent in the book? Mm. You know, I think it's definitely, we feel really honored that everyone who participated in the book was so open and sharing their family stories with us and giving us these these rich histories. The conversations were great. I think that probably... We might know more about these families, I think, than than some of the folks in the family, just because we had to really, you know, take the time to really get <laughs> to know everyone and what that journey um, was like for them. And they did turn into these, um, you know, almost like small ethnographies of each individual family which will really beautifully with that overall journey to home, the historical chapters that we have in the book that really take you along the journey from emancipation to today. So just to be able to showcase those stories for us was just like, thank you. We we just thanked each of the homeowners for really just talking with us for hours and really having some very in-depth conversations. And we felt honored that we could celebrate and showcase their family story.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we couldn't have done it without the homeowners and with the without the stories they told and things they were willing to share. One of the things I think that helped is that it's not a question that gets asked very often. We we knew that going into this, we wanted to do more than the typical design book of just showcasing homes and focusing on the decor. We needed to be able to tell the story of the people who had who had actually decorated who animate this space, and so in doing that, you know, asking, they came up with the concept of what is your story of home? And so the story of home begins way before whatever space you're in now. It's with whatever home is the first one you remember and all the experiences that accumulate through that. And then finding that, that how much of that first story of home is based on those who came before you. And so specifically within this story of the African-American home, the black family home, because there have been so many roadblocks, because there are still so many obstacles, so much that's arrayed against us uh, in this, this effort and this endeavor to have home and to pass home on, and to create really that sense and that feeling of home that's become so important to us you know, culturally the product as it came together became more and more beautiful, specifically as we were able to tell those stories of not just this one person and how they grew up, but also of the family members that moved during the Great Migration, the the ancestors who may have been newly emancipated or still enslaved when they started that journey that, that led to where these people are now in these beautiful homes that we're able to showcase. And it helped us, as Janine said, to be able to weave their stories in and out of this larger history, which is not a history of beautiful homes. And it's not a history of, well, we just not to say that they're not beautiful homes in the history, but there, there, there is another side to it. And we needed to be able to show both sides because as we talk about representation for African-Americans, a lot of times it's divided. Either we're focusing on black suffering and everything's about slavery or poverty or what have you, or we're focusing on black joy and everything is black girl magic and all those other things that we kind of get into. And it, it's, it's always one to the exclusion of the other. So it was very important for us to be able to show it in context, because in context of each other is where you find the real power of, of these stories and of this narrative. Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the history, because it's part history book, right? You know, you pick it up and you think it's in the design category on Amazon, but it's, it's a (laughs) history book too. Well, I had so many takeaways, but I think that I was just struck by like how, emotional and the the homeowners in the book, like they're pouring so much heart into their interiors. It's not just like, what is visually appealing? Like, what did I go to the store and pick up? There was just, and, and I think you kind of dive into it. You're talking about, you know, their first home and so many of them, it was like, Oh, this color or this thing that my grandmother did that I loved the very first one, Paul Surratt. And he, does these incredible sculptures. And you're like, Oh, well, those are like your grandmother. And like, Oh, he didn't even make that connection. So I don't know. There was just, there were so many of those moments
2: where you're like, Oh, this is. And those moments were really fun for us too, honestly, as we were writing you know a lot of times people weren't making those connections i mean paul is a, a perfect example telling us these stories about his grandmother and then we were like as we we're looking at the home and we've been to his home before we were like well your ha- this is your grandmother like everything that she taught you as a child and you watching those moments you actually brought in to your home and he was like i never really thought about it that way but that actually is what i'm doing Yeah, you know, I think one of the things we get to do, and you're right, absolutely right, it is a design book that is definitely a history book, and we really thank Clarkson Potter, our publisher, for, um, you know, allowing us to do that because usually when you talk to the publisher and you're saying I'm going to write a design book, they they mostly want pictures, but we were really able to talk to the publisher about how we wanted to tell the whole story, and there is there's so much love and emotion and story and narrative mm-hmm. in the the homes in, in these homes in the book and that's what we find in many Black homes across the country, um, homes that you know we've had been in visiting family. Home when you walk into it is, is like a hug. It's like getting to really know the person uh, within the space. I think also one of the things we've got to do, which we're very excited about, was to define what African American design is in this book and. Definitely not looking at it from an aesthetic standpoint, but looking at it more from those things that you were pointing to, those feelings. And I'll, I'll point to Brian because he's always really good at remembering those those tenets of African-American design.
3: I'm not that good at remembering. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: but,
3: <laughs> but no, I think I think to start with to say that I, you can tell that this was a book that that from its inception, we felt had a lot of different jobs it had to do. Part of the reason that is is because it's not a story that we get to tell very often, which is why we we start with the idea of the Black family home as a missing character in the narrative of American history, because it is. It's, it's largely removed. And coming back around to the question in hand, because I was about to go in a whole different yeah.
0: <laughs> way. As
3: Janine said, like that, the experience of, of home growing up is the homes that you go to and the homes that you visit, regardless of whether they're houses, apartments or what have you they feel like the person who lives there. I remember my my grandmother's house, both of my grandmother's houses felt like my grandmother's. And my one grandmother had an apartment and it just felt like her. And uh, my aunt's house, uh, who recently passed away uh, a few years ago, her house felt like her. And even to this day, we discuss these bright pink, Pepto-Bismol colored walls that she had. And it's like, well, we can't condone the design choice, but we respect that she made it and it, it fit her Perfect. Yeah. And so being able to do that and understanding, you know, like what, what's the story behind that? Why is that? Because it's, it's a question that we get asked a lot is, is there such a thing as black design? And to which we always answer, well, if there's Scandinavian design, Japanese design, French design, and there's black music, there's black dance, there's black, you know, then then yes, there, there would you know necessarily be a black design style. But we did realize that it's a difficult thing to, to categorize. It's a difficult thing to define in the ways that we usually define a design style, which is this is the color palette. This is the furniture type. These are the eras. You know, these mm-hmm. are the accessories that you tend to find, things like that. Because one of the major tenets of African-American culture is not just just not just to say individuality, but that that ability to imprint your own flavor on whatever it is that you do. And so what we realized is that it's less about the, the furniture or the colors and more about the feel. You know, what we talk about when we say the Black family home is a vibe. And so one of the things that we found were connecting all of these spaces are the feelings that they're designed to create. And so we talk about things like uh, safety. Every homeowner that we spoke to, every homeowner that we asked said safety was the number one thing the Black family home meant to them. Visibility be able to be, to be represented freely and to control your representation, understanding that it's not just about where and when you're seen, but also why and how. Being able to see when I don't go through them in order, I get tripped up. So let's <laughs> see, we have safety, visibility, celebration is the third one. Celebration uh, for exactly what we just said, the ability to actually to celebrate your history and your culture and who you are and who you've been and who you, you dream of being in a world that doesn't necessarily celebrate those things along with you control just the freedom to be able to make those decisions as we said, you know home is not a space that has to be you know carved out or defended once one whereas in so many other places when you step outside of your home that is that is the case you know we are, we're constantly defending our space constantly justifying our presence constantly making arguments and justifications for us to have increased presence beyond what's, you know, considered allowable for us. And then ultimately we talk about memory as being sort of like the root of soul and remembering, you know, as we said, you know, not just this space, but every space that I remember and the memories that come from all of the people that I remember in that space and what they had to do to build that space, going all the way back and, and realizing that, the the level of strength that comes from that in saying that you can make it through everything that's being dealt with today because you uh, you know that it's been faced before and memory also plays in on really on both sides of the equation because one of the things that we talk about in the book one of the reasons why we see that the black family home is this missing character is what we call the hard work of forgetting and it's part of what we consider to be common knowledge around the black family home. Like in order to create common knowledge, you often have to forget. So it means forgetting the 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 wide differences in black experience, not only today, but all the way going back to before the civil war, there were a number of black lives that were lived, but we tend to reduce them down to these commonly accepted ideas. The idea of what the black family home is when it is thought of, when it is spoken of, usually it falls into one of three categories. Either it's a celebrity home or an athlete, someone that you've seen and you know they have money and you expect a certain thing, or everyone lives on the set of good times. They live in the projects and that's what everyone has. Or if it's not one of those two, then you consider the home to be normal, with normal falling into this category of just like the homes that white people have. And so the need to kind of the, the only way that you're able to kind of create this story is by forgetting all of the people, all of the experiences, all of the different lives that go into making up a community and who they are. Not just the achievements, but the idea that the achievements were ever possible to begin with. So we forget about how long there have been black millionaires even. You know, we talk about black Wall Street in Oklahoma as if it were the only such, you know, enclave. Or the only one to meet the same type of end that it did which ultimately didn't turn out to be the end for it but being able to kind of pull all these things together like we said this is a book that had a lot of different jobs to do and a part of it was you know just the way that we approach design is uh as a cultural artifact and because of that it's a lens that can be read back into the culture that it created into its history its processes and so that's kind of the journey we started with our first book and with this book we're going even further and saying, okay, well, let's look at the story itself. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I loved you speaking about it being, you know, the it, a cultural artifacts that each of these homes, again, are just, they're telling their family history, no matter again, where they actually live and just the depth within each space due to it being so loving and a traveling through time and history for that family has made each space so magical. I just was blown away by how different they were too, but in such a great way like you said. But it, but again, they all had that same woven history and just truly speaking to their family and what their family had done for them and how that has changed their view too of home.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know if, uh, you know folks have asked like, you know, how did you find these homes and in a lot of ways, we didn't really know how that historical part and the individual narratives were going to fit together. Um, they actually just happened. That it really organically they 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 beautifully helped us tell those historical um, the overall historical story. But you know the homeowners that we have in the in this book, we didn't want to necessarily look for you know, interior designers. Um, There are some interior designers like ourselves, but a lot of these folks, we have teachers, chef, writer, you know, it's just people who have just an incredible aesthetic and really authentic spaces. And we were really excited that we just had also these these beautiful, um, visually stunning and layered spaces to explore, shot by our dear friend, Patrick Klein, the late Patrick Klein who passed away earlier this year, but did such an amazing job also shooting each of the spaces that are in the book.
3: Yeah, and I think part of the fun of of doing the interviews and, and learning about all of these stories was that, like Janine said, we didn't know how they would connect. We knew that they would. We knew that, you know, we're talking about individual stories within a, a larger kind of narrative arc. And so we knew that there would be places where these things would kind of connect. We, we knew that, you know, when we were talking to people who were born and raised on the West Coast, that they likely had a family member who had moved during the Great Migration. I mean, and all of us, I mean, us coming from Philadelphia in the Northeast, we had family members that moved during the Great Migration from south to the north. But then there were other things that, that were really amazing parts that kind of fit in. So looking at, uh, for example, a uh, Tracy and Amir Smith in San Diego actually still have a race covenant written into the deed of their home. So being able to, to get that shot and showcase it, Arian uh, has a, in North Carolina, uh, has a framed plaque from uh, Referencing uh, an ancestor of hers who had been a big part of the Underground Railroad in, in Pennsylvania and had actually helped hundreds of people make it to freedom while also being a very large, successful business owner with a barbershop that was apparently quite thriving at the time. So all of these little things, all these little connections, being able to find that, being able to see that those things that kind of weave the stories in and out of history. Are ways of showing how those those connections exist in design and the way that we approach it, and why they're such an important part of of giving of making a home that has that feeling and that depth.
0: Did your concept for the book, or I guess direction for the book, maybe change as you were as you started doing these interviews and like started shooting the the homes?
2: Not no, really. yeah, no. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just not sure if you're like, oh, wow, this is question. We didn't you know, expect no, this. It's a good yeah. question. I would say, I guess, every time you enter into like working on a book, there's so many. Details that there's a lot of organization that goes into it. We had the fun of working on this book while, you know, at the, you know, the pandemic was starting at the time that we started working on it. And both of us encountered health issues while working on it. Brian had COVID, was uh, one of the first COVID cases in New York City. I ended up Developing long COVID, which I I still have. So it was really, if anything, I think we had that we were so like driven to stay on track, even though there were so many things happening with illness as well as the war in Ukraine makes things really difficult. We all hear about supply chain. Publishers go through that too. There were supply chain issues that we were running up against. Like, if this book does, if everything does not get in by this certain time, It is not going to be able to get on the the ship from China that brings it to the U.S. in time. So for us, it was really a race to make sure that this book came out this year. Uh, Our publisher was amazing. It was like, hey, you want to push it back a year? And we were just like, no. Like we are going to get this done. And also to the credit of the homeowners, they were so amazing of letting um, ascend. you know, Patrick actually went on his own to shoot this book because this was before vaccines when he went to shoot. So he was going into spaces, you know, just with his mask, just by himself, um, really making sure that everyone was safe. We had to make sure that the family was safe. We had to follow a lot of protocols, but everyone was So super amazing um, through a process that was really challenging. Time to shoot a book and go to homes and travel the entire country. Thank goodness for technology. We use Zoom a lot to help as he was on location and we could talk and meet the families that way and talk through shoots. But yeah, we had to stay like crazy focused to make sure that it came out on November 15th. So I think we never even had room to move away from wherever we were, whatever we had said we were going to do.
3: Yeah, no, and I, I think a, a lot of this book actually was written on my phone uh, while dealing with health wise, Janine's health became very bad at, at some point. And uh, at the point where I was doing a lot of the writing, we were also working on her being able to walk again. So uh, because long COVID, you know, COVID can, can have that level of effect. And uh, thankfully, as you see, she's doing great now. You know, at the time, there was a, a lot of, you know, full time caretaking going on and you no know, full time writing. So, as I said, you know, most, I would say like 85, 90% of this book was actually written on my phone uh, while we were going from, from one thing to wow. the first draft of it. But in terms of like, one of the reasons I think that, that we were able to stay so consistent with your initial vision of it is partly due to our background. So before we were designers and in the design field, Janine was a lawyer working in California when we started AfroChic and I was an academic and that studied uh, African diaspora studies and, and history and philosophies and things like that. So when we started, it was less about the book that we wanted to write. And I think we started more with, what do we need this book to do? What do we have to accomplish? Like what what does it need to, what conversations does it need to start? And so then when you're, when you're doing that, Editing becomes the hard part more so than changing direction, because every time you're thinking about it, you go, oh, and we also need to include this. And we also have to speak about that. Being able to kind of fit it all in because you needed it. Well, most of it. There's some things that didn't make it in, but like all of the most important parts uh, made it in there. And it was necessary to be able to weave them all together in order to to actually tell the story. And so that was the ultimate goal was to tell if not the whole story, more of the story than has ever been told before and as much of the story as we possibly can, given the confines of a single book.
1: Yeah, just the way you, again, brought together so many years of history, again, just directly looking to at the why, Mm -hmm. you you know, and I think that part, again, I just haven't ever spent my time. I have never thought of it from that direction. And so I think this point of view is just wildly educational and beautiful and um i appreciated it
2: oh well we thank you so much i think that that's like for us it makes us feel good because you know you sit down and you're writing and you know you're hoping that people will actually read you know the book as well i mean you know most design books are they're to look at you know and you go back and get ideas well it's pretty to just do that too, by the way. The spaces <laughs> are,
1: you could just do that,
2: but it's not recommended. <laughs> that is true, right? And we love that too. And so, you know, we wanted to kind of check so many different boxes, like Brian said, but it does make us feel good when we hear people go like, I actually sat and read the book. And we're like, oh, yay. So we are able to go back to our, our uh, editorial team and be like, you guys, we told you, people will read design books. <laughs> yes. We have shown that it can happen. It
3: can be done. (laughs) um,
2: You know, that's usually the first thing the publisher says is like, what do you got? No, like, no way. We don't want all these words. And you're like, no, we really, we really felt we could create something that was different from the typical design book. And we're really glad that we were able to achieve that. But I'm also really happy that people can learn more about it. It really is filling in, like Brian. I said, it's a it's a story that is part of the American experience. And it's important that we begin the work of filling in the stories that are missing, that we don't hear. And that's, you know, a book like this for us, for our culture, we're very excited, but I, we also continue to be excited of, there are so many more stories to be told. And I think also it it helps us understand that Once we start to tell our stories, we will understand that design belongs to everyone. Design is diverse. Every culture has design. Yet we really only look at it, you know, from an industry standpoint through a Eurocentric lens. And that hurts all of us because that's a lot that we're missing. So what I hope that this does is really opens up people telling their stories more, people wanting to share their history and heritages more, because that is part of what makes America so beautiful and so interesting is we are layered. Uh, in terms of many different cultural heritages and histories. And so we want more and more of these stories to be told and wanna see, you know, hopefully the industry be excited, and engaged in, in telling more stories in our work too.
3: Yeah. And I think you may have given us like our new best compliment on the book because you asked a question that is really, I think what we're trying to get at. And as you said, why? Why? And we, we tried to, to, to touch on this. Why is the black family home a missing character? In this narrative, why is it excluded? And we talk about the the suite of myths that are upheld by, in part, by its absence, and that reinforce its continued absence. And so, it, it's very interesting to us, and it's important to us for people to begin to to look at this from that perspective. And there's so many different ways to approach it. There's the the economic perspective, in which we see that there's an, an enduring gap in wealth between black and white communities in America and has been from the very beginning. But we look at the the moments in history where it is narrowed and where it is widened and the overall absence of assistance of programs of things like that aimed at increasing homeownership among African-Americans, even while programs are going on to you know, ostensibly to increase home ownership across the board, things like, you know, the GI Bill and Homesteading Act, those those mechanisms, those tools that were built, used to build the American middle class in the 1920s that, you know, almost across the board uh, excluded African-Americans. We see that how that interferes with, again, what we call common knowledge and what we assume to be the case about the way things work. Common knowledge that says things like education and hard work are the keys. To, to more wealth, to a better life. But then we see that households, I think it was a, a 2015 study that showed uh, from the new school, showed that households headed by an African-American with a college degree had 33% less wealth than households headed by a white high school dropout. And we see that households were headed by a white person who's had some college degree, but didn't get a degree but some college education has more wealth than a household headed by African-Americans who have graduate degrees. And so then you start to question why this is and what are the things that are that actually, and, and the way in which this interacts with what, the way that we tend to think of things, hard work, education, bootstraps, self-reliance, and so on and so forth, these things that we talk about, but then you go back and you look at these programs like the Homestead Act that we used to transfer Tons of like huge parcels of land and, and by convention, you know, millions of dollars in wealth. And who was excluded from it? Who was included? New Deal uh, uh, programs that came out after the Great Depression. When you look at the fact that before the Great Recession in the early 2000s, Black households had about one dime for every dollar that white households had. But then after the Great Recession, even though white wealth reduced by 16%, Black wealth reduced by 53%. So for every dollar that a white household had, a black household now had around a nickel. And so when you look at those things and you see where home plays into it as being such a, not only a place for all of the experiences that we talk about and all the things that we love, but also a major contributor to intergenerational wealth, to generational wealth, the things that you can pass down, making up as much as 50% of inheritance and wealth and inheritance wealth and, and and family wealth transfers making up so much of the of you know an individual household wealth in this country, you start to see that there's there's an aspect to that, there's a layer to it. There are not only the the intangible but also the tangible outcomes of this absence.
0: Yeah, I think it was the more recent history, things like redlining you, I've learned about in American history, right, in high school. But it was like the recession and and COVID and sort of the more recent history elements of the book that were surprising and difficult to sit with i think as well you know it's because you live through the great recession you're not necessarily looking at it from a historical lens because you're like oh yeah
2: right it makes it very clear why safety and security is one of the the top themes Mm -hmm. going on in all of in all of the stories and home portraits Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, like you said, I mean, every single person at the end of each interview, we asked what the Black family home meant to them, and they each said safety. And I think that this history, it still lives with us. And this book is an opportunity to see what's happening, um, to start to lay out the kind of full story of what's happening so that we can address it. Because, I mean, they're absolutely, uh, Brian always likes to say, like, everything is by design, you know, not just our homes, but, you know, our society is by design as well. And so we can design it in ways that are equitable. And that's definitely something that we hope that this book can, can get people to think about is how we do need to have equitable housing in America, equitable opportunities. It does also bring up current states of, like Brian said, I was a lawyer, so um, in law school, the castle doctrine is, you know, this doctrine that's like basically your home is your castle; no one is allowed to come into it, right? But you know, we have seen, you know, sadly over the last couple of years, as we've seen the Black Lives Matter movement highlight the deaths of people like Breonna Taylor and others who, when people came into their home, were able to violate the home space and they died. And so, you know, this idea of safety. It's still illusory. I mean, it definitely doesn't mean that like not, nothing can happen to you in your home, but it does feel, and we feel the same way that when you come home and you can close the door, that at least for those moments you can breathe and you can just feel like I'm here, I'm in my space, and everything here is going to be good and going to be okay. And that sort of home is the space that feels sacred, that is a space of communion, that is a space of freedom. Is really important. I, I think the one thing we had to balance in this book, and it was kind of interesting having dialogues, is with our team. Is that you know we were like, well, why are we going to talk about this sad history and these sort of bad things? Like we don't want to talk about that. And we we're like, well, as a black person, that that's just part of life. Like the 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 good and the bad is there, but knowing the bad doesn't weaken you or make you feel bad knowing the bad helps you be resilient and keep moving forward because you continuously have hope for the future you are continuously building for the next generation to go further than you have so it was really important for us to show that you know in the end our community is resilient like despite all of the bad stuff despite even the stuff that's happening today despite redlining and gentrification and those things that we absolutely desperately need to address and remove as barriers but despite that that there is resilience and i think to me that's that's one of the the best takeaways you know from the book and that we have these beautiful portraits and these beautiful families and this cover that catches you from the moment you see it. And that is also, you know, showcasing that joy and resilience, which is very much a part of our story as well.
3: Yeah. And I think it. Uh, as much as we started with the list, the laundry list of things that we wanted this book to do, we also had a, a list of things that we knew we couldn't do, or things that we absolutely did not want to be the outcomes of it. One of the reasons why there's so much history in the book is because we knew that if we presented a book that just had, here's 16 Black people with great homes, at best, it would just be another design book on the market. At worst, someone could point to it and say, okay, here's 16 Black people with great homes. We did it. Racism's over. We don't never need to look at this again. And at the same time, to your point about the history, we knew that it was vitally important that any historical perspective stretch all the way up to the current day. Uh, not only because there was so much going on in the current day, You know, we're still talking about 2020, 2021. So yeah, we know that COVID is turning people out of their homes, it's turning the economy upside down. We, we see the Black Lives Matter movement really getting off to its start, like really you know expanding in the marches that are going on and all these other things. But also because if we didn't include that history, we know that it was very easy reflexively to say, wow, things were really terrible back then and not recognize all of the ways in which those not only are those things continuing today, but how so much of what's continuing today under whatever name, whether we call it gentrification, redlining or urban renewal, are built on the things that happened before. Because a lot of times we're kind of, we tend not to look at those connections. We look at the moment as a whole piece rather than as part of the continuity of history. And so, for us, we knew that that was a very important thing because, and and in understanding that, and and in conveying that, hoping to to really start to challenge uh, one of the the biggest myths that that we 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 look at, which is sort of like this this myth of differentiated racisms or of, of even of separate paths. This idea that there are different forms of racism in this country that Latino people may face. The the racism of deportation and Muslims face the racism of religious, you know, segregation or being interned at airports or things like that. And so we'll all look at what's going on and we'll say, okay, well, this is what happens to them. I'm glad that's not happening to me. And when we do decide to be a part of change, we go, I stand with your community. Because implicit in that is that there's only so much effort that you're ever going to put into someone else's plight or someone else's struggle. So you'll, you'll put effort for a certain amount, and then it goes away. What we start to ask is if every form of racism in this country serves ultimately to benefit the same group, then to what extent are they really different? You know, and if every form of racism that we experience in this country benefits the same group, then that group is itself forced into its own box, even if we label that box winners. And so when we talk about when we talk to people and they say, you know, I've never thought about that before, or I've never heard that part of history, or I've never looked at it from that direction, part of it is, is coming to understand that the reasons that you haven't looked in those directions are also by design. And so we have in, in, in creating this suite of myths, you know, and in doing the hard work of forgetting, a lot of what it does is keep you from looking at what you see as happening to other communities as being something that affects you as well something that requires something of you, whether it's, it's active participation or passive complicence. And the more that we can start to see that, and, and you know, the way we talk about understanding the black family home, not only as black history, but as American history, as world history, as simply history is reintegrating these ideas of our cultures and, and, and challenging the myth that somehow we all have separate destinies. That what happens to one community in this country doesn't affect every other community, which we know is not the case. And so but being able to bring that to the forefront of the conversation and say, well, it's not just a matter of the black family home is a cultural artifact of black people. Yes, in America you know, and everywhere. But the obstacles that exist to the creation, to the establishment, to the passing on of the black family home, those are things that affect everyone. Those are things that affect everyone. And the, the struggle of the Black family home and the joy of the Black family home are things that have a lot to say and to teach to everyone in this country, not only about, you know, who we are, but who we're told we can be. That's the conversation that, that we're ultimately trying to start with. This is starting to understand that basically we all have skin in this game. And because of that, we all have things that we're responsible for and things that we have the ability to do.
0: You've... um. You know, you've had you started your brand, uh, or I guess your your blog, which has turned into a brand, 15 years ago. What, how has your relationship with your own home changed in that time? As you've, you know, you said you're a you're a lawyer to begin with. You were in, you know, getting your master's degree. What now that you can look back on that 15 years, are you surprised by where you've where you've
2: landed? <laughs> yeah, I I mean I think I probably have to look back further cuz I think that for me home is still my Barbie dream house from like being a kid like wherever I've lived it's just that that dream house that I used to always be decorating and making little furniture and extra little pieces for my Barbies and that's kind I just really love taking a space and being able to transform it from your own ideas. I think that that's just cool. You know, every, every home in terms of structure, is not that different, right? Usually, especially in, in the U.S., you're going to have four walls in a room and you're going to have a floor, and you're going to have a ceiling. And so the idea that you can take that same structure and each one of us can turn that into some interesting thing that we've imagined is really, really cool to me and really fun and exciting. I think that over the years, just being able, getting older and being able to collect more and being able to bring more into our space, that this home probably feels like a collection of so many different places that we've been or, or visited or ideas that we've had for a long time and wanted to make them real. Um, being able to sit in this library, definitely um, being able to have a space like that is something that we've always like dreamed of, but have lived in apartments and cities. So we never really had the space to do it. So this space has been n- nice to kind of be able to take all those ideas and kind of see them really be able to, to sit together. In the tree. Oh, oh, the Christmas tree? What were you going to say?
3: Well, you were saying that um, Janine had mentioned earlier that this tree probably that we just put up over Thanksgiving probably has the biggest collection of ornaments from different parts of our life. So we have things that from when we lived in Philadelphia, things from San Francisco, things from Washington, D.C., and even um, some heirloom pieces that Janine made when she was in first or second grade, mm-hmm. things like yeah. that. For me, on the other hand... I think that 15 years is very important to my relationship to home. I mean, Janine and I, we met when I was 16 years old, and we've been pretty much together since the day we met. Before Janine, my world existed entirely inside my head. So whatever the the decorating situation of a home or a room might be, I was very unlikely to notice it. <laughs> and so it really wasn't until we started Afro Chic, which... You know, It had already been 10 years after we met, and then we started after she. It was when I really started to kind of notice and <laughs> started to pay attention to uh, design and decor, and the more we talked about it. And uh, we started the blog initially, largely because I was not a very good design conversation partner for her. <laughs> and uh, I actually suggested that we start the blog because I knew that the internet had to have somebody who was better at having this discussion than I was. I think I've gotten a little better. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he was a husband just trying to get out of these conversations. Yeah, I was trying to get oh, He's like, yeah, out. yeah, start <laughs> a <barn. laughs> yeah.
3: But, I mean, as, as we've gone over the years, I think more and more we started to understand this idea of design as a cultural artifact. And so looking at all of the things that exist in the house and kind of finding the, not only the the meaning in the individual object, but it, that way in which the, the sum can be greater, the whole can be greater than the sum of its parts, you know? what they all come together to ultimately say. And all of the other aspects, the other parts of history that work to create the moment in which you are designing this home, your, your own history, the history of the world that's going on around you, what's available, what exists. We, we started our product line because we realized that just as we were not seeing black designers or black people included in the conversation on design online, We also weren't being included in product offerings, so we didn't see anything that was designed specifically for African-American consumers. So we started designing them. So I think over the years, that relationship has definitely deepened. And I think this is probably the most Afro-chic space that we've lived in. As the design was able to come together, the things that we saw, what we were able to do, this library that we're sitting in, which was like a, a lifelong dream of mine, to have a, a room that was just for reading, just for books, the living room that, that we've designed, which is in a lot of ways, it's very interesting treatise on like 21st century feminist design that I'm going to like get Janine to write one day. I, I think that the relationship has definitely deepened in a, in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Your living room is beautiful. Thank, thank you, thank yeah. you. <laughs> I have to always somehow pink finds a way into any space that we do, yes. and mm-hmm. I, I keep trying to be like, no, I'm not going to do pink. Like it's not going to happen. I'll try to stay away from it this time. And then, of course, in the living room, we have two giant pink velvet sofas. Um, so we we call that our womb rooms. I'm like, it just is like you feel like you just hugged. It just feels so mm-hmm. warm and nice and female energy. And so, you know, I think Brian's helped me get a little bit more nerdy about design and dig a lot more into history because when we were started talking about it and he got into it, he would be bringing home like library books. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> I don't want this. Why are you bringing me this? <laughs> I just want design to be like relaxing. I don't wanna like go so deep. And he would just be like, well, you need to learn about like where these patterns come from the or why. this real or like what's happening. And, and he was right. I mean, it really has given me such a deeper appreciation of design and also helps, you know, like, again, it helps us tell really better narratives. I think our spaces, the spaces that we design, really end up being very narrative driven. Um, Danielle Brooks House, who is in the book, We Design That Home. And when we worked with Danielle and her husband, Dennis, it was really sitting down and talking about things like, You know, how they like to entertain, how many people they like to have over, what kind of music they like to listen to, finding out about their cultural heritage, Danielle being from South Carolina, Dennis having Haitian roots. That was where we started with. design ideas it wasn't like color palettes or swatches or those things it was really just you know getting to know them and as we got to know them that helped us to develop things like the right kind of floor plan because they love to have people over so it was really about making it a space you know having the big dining table for you know their dinners and parties but then also bringing in art that reflected both of their family histories was really important so You know, for us, the design really does start with stories. And usually with our clients, they're really surprised by the questions that we ask. But, you know, we'll be like, just show us like what's on like what's your most recent playlist you listen to. That helps us get more information about them. And that will be interpreted into something like a color or a rug or what kind of table we need to bring in um, or what type of accessories we want to bring in to really help them feel comfortable and seen and represented in their home. Yeah,
3: and so the question ultimately is more: is who are you more than it is what do you want your life to look like? And so I think you know when people ask how we found the homeowners that that we did for the book or the people that we spoke with, it was really more about curating a group of people whose homes spoke directly to who they are. One of my favorites is definitely Alexander Small's home, because uh, with such a remarkable life and such such an amazing story for coming from down south becoming a a, a international opera singer and then as the celebrated restaurateur there's so many of the phases of his life that are are they're not visible they're not blended like they all exist in this just constant balanced state like they're all just there they're all present in his home because those are all the things that make him who he is His, his aunt and uncle who were part of the harlem renaissance and everything that they gave him introducing him to opera and shakespeare and all of those things and there's there's that that very 1920s Renaissance Harlem salon aspect to his place. But then there's also his grandfather and his uncle who were the cooks and who, you know, grew the the vegetables and this this plot of land that was between their houses and all of that. And he has this this amazing, like bright yellow country kitchen in the middle of this amazing Harlem salon's full of art and imagery and mementos and things from from all the different stages of his life. And the the fact that they they exist in this this very natural state. So, from a design perspective, you would look okay. Well, these are two very different styles, but for him, they're who he is, and there's so much who he is that you can sit them together, and they make perfect sense because they immediately tell you about this person who who not only habits but animates this space. So, I think you know that's I think is always one of the most amazing parts about seeing what design can do in, in used in that way.
0: Yeah, I wish more design books would dive as deep as y'all did, you know, because you, you know that many of the people featured in a design book are thinking about it in that deep way. It's just that we don't express it in the book. They, you know, just talk about like the fabric or the why this, why that,
2: but well, well, we hope that this will set a new trend. You know, it's good for—it's always good for the editors to hear what people are, you know, gravitating towards. And I agree. I love to read books and and go deep and read a good article. And I, I do also hope that we see more storytelling because. That, that is what is so powerful about design. And, you know, for us as designers, but also people who love travel and we've been to different places in the world. Morocco was one of our most recent trips before the pandemic, which was such a fascinating place because that's a place where design is literally everywhere. Artisanship is just a part of the culture. And everywhere you're walking, there's somebody making something. And so being able to go deeper and to understand design and the roots of design and and all that goes into these amazing objects that we live with every day, I think we would all benefit from that for sure.
3: And I think going deeper in that way definitely requires, I think, feeling like you incur a certain amount of responsibility, not only for the the story that you're telling, of the individual person, the individual homeowner, which is an interesting thing in and of itself because you, you're, you're learning this story and then you actually have to basically find a way of encapsulating and framing it like a lens through which to see that story and then turning that story into a lens to see the bigger story that you're trying to, to get at. But I do think that doing that, you, there, there, there are a lot of steps that I would say to doing a design book on that level and, and being able to say that there's a, um, like I said, uh, a historical is, you know, a little bit of an academic, also a kind of a social responsibility that you, you try to take on in doing that. But, yeah, I mean, I think even for us, there are, there are other stories we'd love to tell there. And like Janine said, it's great for the publishers here. Let them know, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, get on their social media, tell them like, what, you want more of these these uh, Afro chic books, because there are a lot of stories. There are a lot of stories in this book, but even this book is just part of a, a much larger story that can be told.
2: What's next for y'all? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, right now it'll be rest you know, after that rest. <laughs> well, yeah.
1: Well, I think
3: you, yeah. Be, uh,
1: oh, <laughs>
2: I know you guys won't. That was a joke. I know you won't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we having this idea that rest is going to happen and it just, you know, we were like, oh, we're gonna rest. And we just had um everyone up for Thanksgiving. And we were like, after it was over, like that was fun, but we are so tired. Like, what did we get ourselves into? Like we were, you know, you know, having a little, little one run around our parents here and everything. So we definitely are going to try to rest during Christmas. That is a promise that we're trying to make for ourselves and hope to be able to actually accomplish that.
3: We have this, this kind of phantom two weeks that we plan to rest. And it's, it's been moving steadily away from us for at least the last three years. That we're like, okay, well, when this gets done, we'll take two weeks off, we'll rest. When this gets done, we'll take two weeks off, we'll rest. But no, we we we've all there's always something else that we're interested in. There's always something else that we're we're planning to do. Like I said, a lot of times we think about things just in terms of what needs to be done. And that's always that's always present. So I mean one of the things that we've been working on with, especially with our, our experience of COVID and with Janine's experience of long COVID that we're still working on. We over the summer we worked on a documentary, uh short documentary about COVID 19 vaccination in Black communities in Baltimore. And so uh, we'll be releasing that. You know, we're finishing that up, but it's an important story. It's something that we need to talk about, especially now. A year ago, two years ago, COVID was terrible and it was the only thing we had to deal with. Now we got a couple of different things to deal with and they all seem to be getting pretty bad. Meanwhile, COVID is just as bad as it's ever been, even though we're not really talking about it as much anymore. And so, which only makes it more dangerous. So, being able to kind of continue to shed light on that, speak to that, specifically, as we talked about the lopsided ways in which really any disaster, whether it's natural, economic, or anything in between, tends to disproportionately hit communities of color in this country. We don't want to wait another 20, 40, 50 years before we look at processes that are happening right now and that can not only take lives in this moment but also hinder the lives of those who remain and, and alter them for decades and generations to come mm-hmm.
2: i mean also like from a design standpoint where we're working on the next issue of our magazine we just did our 10th issue which we can't believe we actually yes. made it to 10 issues so we're excited to work on issue 11 which will come out in in february And, you know, the magazine for us is just, we don't really blog anymore. We have an area on the site that still has a blog, but it's really very occasional. Now it's really nice to be able to have something like a magazine where we can just kind of sit and really focus on a couple of really great things that are happening out there, whether it's something in home decor or uh, something in fashion, food, a lot of our other interests that we're able to kind of bring together through Afro Chic Magazine. And we also, We're working on a a line of new products. Um, We've been uh, working with Paragold for about two years now. They have been selling our product line, And we'll also now be having offerings on Wayfair that we're really excited about, as well as opening a new art shop on our ParaGolden Wayfair shop, where we're actually working with emerging artists, people that we've, we we used to go over to Parsons and do critiques of, of student work. And there's so many, so many great young people. And so we actually started reaching back out to some of those people that we had met years ago and saying like, look, do you want to, start developing some some pieces. And so we're really excited to have uh, some new pieces that will come out next year that will be really gorgeous. And I think that there'll be something to add to any interior. So yes, we always stay busy. We're always going, we're always moving. I think that's just us and who we are. We cannot seem to stop ourselves. But after um, that, but yeah.
3: we're gonna take two weeks off. Yes,
2: and hopefully <laughs> after that, we'll take two weeks off. <laughs> wow, your partnership is inspiring. Mm -hmm. thank you yeah and thank you for sharing
0: this book with us and with the world it was it was a it was a meaningful journey i will say that like it was a journey
3: yes thank you you so much Thank you for taking it with us. I mean, like we, we we know that you know even we we have books in here that we've picked up and you look at it you you know you're going to read it one day and then you know one day one day so on so I mean just we appreciate that everybody who picks up this book who reads it who gets something from it and uh, you know we just we just want to be a beneficial part of the conversation.
2: Yeah. Thank you guys so much. And it actually was nice to hear from Valor Designs. I, it was funny because I remembered I had to go back to my memory banks so was like, oh man, Valor Designs. I remember writing uh, about the brand probably a few times in the early blogging years in, in 07, just going through the catalog and, you know, <laughs> always knowing that there was like really good, like solid, like pieces that you really sort of needed for the foundation of your space so it's so nice to talk with you guys and in your podcast and yeah this was fun you guys yeah. made it fun because we were like three people like how is this going to work <laughs> with three people but you, <laughs> you guys made it really easy so thank you yes and you know great. we're in atlanta you would have spelled. oh you are? Yeah. Okay. yeah come visit we absolutely you know that i went to college in atlanta and and we been down there for events and we have to get back there soon so we will absolutely note that you guys are there so next time we come we'll make a trip absolutely
0: thank you and can you tell everyone where they can find you follow you get your book and also i just wanted to say we here at the how to decorate podcast we're book readers we don't Uh we don't just flip through the design book so any future authors listening we're gonna read it (laughs) And we're only going to recommend it if we like, the, or I don't know. I guess I shouldn't speak for you and you, Tara. <laughs> I read the,
2: the text. I was
0: a lit major. Well, so. I mean that
2: that is that is good. I, I, people can find us, you know, on social media at Afro Chic, A P H R O C H I C, and we're we're pretty much everywhere. We're on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and. All all of the places um, and also um, they can shop for the book at Afrochic.com um, and also uh on Amazon or at your local bookseller. We absolutely encourage people to go to their local local booksellers as well.